Welcome to Tea Time with Shaylee and Amber, the podcast where we talk about all the shit that your horse wants you to know and what you can do about it. Amber is a horse trainer and a personal results coach, certified in Theta and Semitic Breathwork. Shaylee is an animal communicator who also teaches communication. Both knowledge seekers with the intention of sharing that knowledge and hoping that we can encourage the listeners to do the same. Welcome to today's episode where we explore some probably slightly more spicy topics, a little on the edge of controversial. We're going to talk about biting, we're going to talk about boundaries and the human's responsibility for their part in training empathetically. Also a few other nuts. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode without those. So thank you guys for joining us once again and go ahead and don't forget to share this one if you like it. All right, let's get going. Hello, people. Welcome back to the podcast. If you missed last week's episode, it was a bunch of different squirrels. We were actually really awkward in that podcast because we hadn't done one in so long. We like kind of forgot how to do it. So, but it was still good. I feel like there were some things in there that were good. So give it a listen. Um, today we are talking about potentially some controversial topics. Um, we want to talk about biting, trying and spurs and maybe some other things, but essentially choices, it all comes down to choices. I feel like, and something that Amber and I were talking about right before we started this call was how, um, in the healing modality that we both work with, there is no try. And like the the person that we're learning from is very clear in like, you either do something or you don't, there is no try. You don't try to pick up a pencil, you either pick it up or you don't. Um, and then it kind of goes along with intention, which is so interesting and is like making me kind of rethink some things like the way that I teach animal communication. Because normally I'm like, it's all about intention, intention, intention. And like the more intention you put towards something like the stronger it'll get. But as I'm like going through learning more about Theta, she talks about how intention is kind of like plastic, like you can intend something all day long. But if you don't make a choice about it, it, the intention is kind of like null and void. Like she's like, you can intend to pick up a pencil. But it has nothing to do with like what you're actually going to do. Um, so I'm trying to find like the, the space there, but do you have anything to say about intention and things like that? Yeah, because I feel like you can understand a concept and really want something, but the integration comes from like, I've learned the lesson and I'm choosing to do the thing differently. You know what I mean? It's like, instead of falling to that old pattern, you're like, I, I had that lesson. I understand what the consequences are and I'm actively choosing the thing that I normally wouldn't choose or making the choice to like make the phone call you need to make to think, make the thing happen that you really want to happen. It's like, I think you can say affirmations all day long and really, really, really want something, but there is a part of our little 3d world where you actually have to take steps in that direction to make it happen because not everything is just going to fall in your lap. And I think sometimes people want that. And so reciting affirmations in the mirror and just waiting for, you know, the thing to fall from the sky. It's like, no, you have to actually choose in t- to choose to live intentionally. You can set the intention. And then when these 
choices are presented to you, you have to make the choice that is sometimes uncomfortable that puts you in the trajectory of that, like where you're going, where you want to go. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. That's a really good way to state it. Um, super good way to state it actually. And I think when it comes to, so I'm, I'm giving myself a little complex right now. I was just telling Amber that this do or do not, there is no try is like, it's going to be like the death of me because I realize how much I say, oh, I'm going to try to do this, or I'm going to, I'm going to try to do better. or I'm going to try to whatever you either do better or you don't like, <laughs> I'm going to try to make it by this time in order for us to meet for this podcast. No, you either make it by the time or you don't. And it's so funny. Like when I really think about like, why do I say that? It's almost like an excuse or a leeway to fuck up in a way. Like if I say, oh, I'll try it, like gives me an excuse to like not have clarity around something or not get like to be indecisive almost or that little leeway. So it's interesting because taking try out of the vocabulary kind of makes you hold yourself accountable to making decisions. Like it's like an accountability thing. And that is my quest now. My current quest is to eliminate try from my vocabulary. And this morning so far, I've sent like 10 texts and I've had to like edit five out of the 10 because I've used the word try in them. It's very stressful. <laughs> yeah, because there's like an element of commitment to it. You know what I mean? Where you're, like you said, it's like an accountability thing. If I say I'm going to do this thing, then I have to do the thing. If not, then I have not been in integrity around my word, which is, I feel like important for most people. If you're not a total, you know, sociopath, like most people don't like not fulfilling what they said they were going to do. So if they think that they might fail or they think that they might be able to not make it done instead of just being like, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. I'll try. It's like, you just make the decision. It's like what we were talking about the first part. It's like you decide to wake up when your alarm goes off. You decide to get ready. You decide to leave the house at this time. There is no, there is no five minute, 10 minute, let me hit snooze. It's like you either get up or you don't and you either leave the house on time or you don't, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think it all goes back to like really believing and understanding that you have a choice and there's an element that's kind of scary about that like you are the deliberate creator of every single moment of your life and you are the one that like happiness is a choice anger is a choice like abuse is a choice and that's a hot potato right now um because if people are listening to this real time um uh, many of us are sharing select posts around um an abusive situation that's happening in the horse industry. And um, yeah, just like coming to the realization that abuse is a, ch is a choice and everything that you do with your horses, if we want to move into like specifically directing this to horses is a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read her post and I immediately cried. I was like, oh, um, I just don't think that, that we are in a place on this planet right now if we're staying horse focused where anyone could possibly say that that is just the way it is and there's no other way around it. It's just there's too much 
information. There's too much, you know, too many studies, too many, too many things, evidence things that are out there that you can't play ignorant anymore. You can't just say, well, this is the way I've always done it and not know at some level that, that that's not actually accurate, that it is the fastest way for you to do the things, you know what I mean? And um, just because you learned it that way, it doesn't mean that is the way because the shit is outdated. <laughs> so yeah, and I think it does put a lot of pressure on trainers to advocate for horses like that that pull between I have to pay bills and this is what my clients want and this is how fast they expect it because that's how fast things have always been done you have to make a real hardcore life choice and commitment to saying like I'm not going to freaking do that anymore which is what a lot of trainers have done I did it I had to stop training completely not because what I felt like I was doing in the last few years was abusive, but I know that there are ways to skip steps and I would get conflicted and feel pressure about when to do that, when not to, um, just because. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty interesting how, I don't know how even just like advocating for the horse is such a, like, I don't understand why it's such a difficult thing, probably because even probably because as we're kids, like advocating for ourselves or, or the way that parents talk to us or the way that they were talked to is a big, you know, like it's how we treat each other. It's how we treat ourselves and we treat our animals that way. Um, I feel like that's a big part of it, but you were saying as we were chit chatting before this call, like if people care, they're going to ask why. And if they don't ask why it's because they don't care. Like, why is this behavior happening? But another thing that I think to kind of consider within that is not just asking why for our own sake, like we do see posts on social media where people are like, why won't my horse stand at the mounting block? Why won't my horse go forward? Why won't my horse do this for, and the, you can feel that the, the idea behind it or the intention is my horse is not doing what I want. Why not like. I feel like for the most part, I don't see posts where it's like, my horse won't stand at the mounting block. And when he is choosing not to stand at the mounting block, he looks very scared. Does anyone know why he might be scared or might why he might be worried? It's usually not phrased like that. It's usually phrased like he won't stand. How do I get him to stand so that I can get on him and like continue to ask him for things? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always phrased. How do I fix this? You know, how do I make my horse mm -hmm. stand at the mounting block? That's where I think the those posts usually that's what the, ugh, words <laughs> that's what those posts usually sound like I think it's more rare to have a, someone say I don't know why it's usually like my horse won't how do I make it you know what I mean mm -hmm. um and I think because just the way that it's been is like you're kind of programmed to go here's a problem what's the solution because that's what we do for ourselves. And you're not really raised to be like, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. You know, is this stress coming up? Is this anxiety coming up in me to indicate that, you know, I, there's a boundary that needs to be spoken or, you know, there's something that's off in the situation I'm in that I need to like take a step back from and examine. It's like, Ooh, I don't feel this. This doesn't feel good. 
let me get on my phone and scroll or let me, you know, take my antidepressant or my anti-anxiety. It's like, we're not trained to go. I wonder what this is about. So why would we do that for anyone else? Why would we do it for our horses? Why, you know, it's just like the culture that we live in is here's this problem. How do we fix it? And it's like, well, why is the problem there to begin with? <laughs> like, why don't you start there? You know, because maybe it's not a problem. It's more of a, there's a solution within it being presented, but we just want to kind of bypass it and get like the, to the fastest thing so that we can get what we want and get our needs <laughs> surfacely. Mm -hmm. because it will always come back to bite you. <laughs> yeah. Which brings me to my little, I don't know why people say soapbox. So I don't want to say that because I don't understand that term. And then the other <laughs> yeah, day, I was thinking like, I was like, cause Tara usually says like, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm like, that is such a weird statement. Where did that come from? Like, I can never say it cause I don't fully understand it. And it seems so strange to me. Like, I feel like I understand the intention behind it, but when she says it, all I get is like this chunky little baby being like thrown out in dirty water. And it's just weird to me. But anyway, um, my tangent, I guess I will say that I was on this morning with Spurs because a friend of mine, a friend and I were talking about um, flash nose bands and like how we used to use them, but like we won't anymore. And like, it just got me thinking about how there's certain pieces of equipment that like people make excuses for. And then certain where they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I used that in the past. I could never make an excuse for that again because of what I know. And it got me thinking about equipment that I've used that I don't really like, like with, with whips, for whatever reason, I can make an excuse around a whip if I'm using it on the ground as like a directive, but not, um, like using it on a horse or like to a horse, which is kind of interesting. Cause like, that's my own story about it that I need to think about on a later date. But, um, <laughs> with spurs, I cannot make any excuses for them. Like, I just feel like there's nothing subtle about them. I feel like when you wear spurs, it's like telling your horse, like, hey, thanks for everything you're doing for me. But if you don't do it, also, I have this piece of metal strapped to my heel and I'm going to jab you with it. Um, and it's just so interesting to me how we make stories like, oh, it helps me be more aware of my leg or aware of my foot or it helps me do X, Y and Z. And it like um, the intention behind it is that when your horse is soft and supple, you can be very, very quiet with your leg aid. And I'm kind of like, well, what's quiet? Like if you strip back all of your, and this could be with any piece of equipment, but if you like strip back all of your beliefs about it, all of your thought processes and like what you know to be true about it based on your experience and you look at it, it's a piece of pointy metal strapped to the back of your foot that you can jab into their side at any point in time that you want to. Like what is subtle about that? <laughs> yeah. And the, the immediate visual I get is like having like a knife <laughs> to your side and being like, I'm not going to use it. I don't actually have to poke you with it. But how does it feel for you to be the person that has the knife like held closely to your body? Not, I mean, you know, like you feel on edge, like there is no deep like around that. I will say that horses get dull to them. So maybe they're not necessarily afraid because they've shut down and disassociated their sides of their body so that 
the actual feeling of is not quite as intense, which when you think about it at the end of the day is like quite the opposite of what you're saying is happening. And I'm saying that as I have like, I have your mineral spurs. I have spurs. I used spurs for my whole life. I kicked the shit out of horses with those spurs. Um, and so I can speak from a place of saying all of those things before, but now realizing that I don't need spurs on my horses and I don't have to kick them either. And I had to look at like, why? And how did, how did it get that way? Um, and did I ever actually need the spurs or did I put them on because everyone else, I always say, well, partially because I'm short and my spurs really helped keep my jeans from wearing out in the back. Um, but did I ever really need them, you know, on my horses? I don't know, but I do know that when I worked out and started kind of getting curious about like, well, why wouldn't the horse want to go forward? Is there something they don't understand about my leg being on their side? Is there something physically that is causing them to feel restricted? Is it something that I'm holding within my own body that's not open for them to like want to move forward and through? There's like so many things that will keep a horse from wanting to go forward on the ground and under saddle. And there really is no way around the fact that if they're saying, I don't feel like I can move forward and you poking a spur into them, you're just plain and simple, not asking not caring enough which is gonna be very triggering for people to get to the bottom of why and mostly because the process is slower you know you're you, you you have to back off and I think that triggers a lot of people to feel like they're losing momentum or you know they're going backwards which is a big thing that people will say um, and really doing the mindset work around it's not backwards it's constantly going back to the foundation and fine-tuning it that's what every single master in any discipline will tell you that's really good at what they do it's all about the foundation so adding more aids you know to look like you're doing less until you're not doing less in the moment that creates you not have to do less <laughs> like I can bump my legs like my horses would you know, the process would look like I would cluck, I would put my calves on. If they didn't go, I would bump my calves on. If they wouldn't go, then I would roll my spur. If they wouldn't go, I would poke the fuck out of them. Um, so that process, the only reason it could be subtle is because at one point it wasn't subtle for them to understand that if I don't go now off of this very light pressure on my side with this spur it's most likely going to get blasted into my ribcage <laughs> so there is no way that you can say that you have a subtle cue coming from your spurs while you're riding your horse and never have had to escalate to the point where they would be inspired to move away from them that's just not how it works with anything right so it's just there's just so many aspects of that where yeah people um, I think they just don't think hard enough about what's actually going on or, but I understand it from both sides. I just think going back to like, there's too much education and too much understanding around that stuff to be really um, like excused in any way. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and the excuse will be like, well, at the upper levels, at the FEI levels, spurs are required. And that's because you like ultimately at the end of the day, like if you're in, if you're, you know, eventing or jumping or whatever, you're, you have to have a way to force your horse over it or you guys could die. So like, but you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's so much we could say about this topic. Like we could just go on and on about it. But um, I think asking why is like, yeah, it's such an important thing. And there's also this belief system around if I am not doing something with my horse, if I'm not moving forward in a productive way, my horse will fall apart. I hear it all the time in sessions like, oh, I'm going out of town. Is it okay if X rides my horse because I don't want her getting out of shape for the week? And it's like, if your horse loses all muscle tone and all fitness within the week that you're gone, there is a massive problem and a massive hole in the training program. And like, if you're like your horse is not just going to lose weight and muscle and all this stuff because you quit riding them for 30 minutes or an hour out of the day. And if you do start seeing stuff like that happening, it's, or I should even go back and say this, if you start to go back to the foundations and you're just walking and you're just doing like long and low stuff or whatever it is, and you start noticing like your horse is lame or your horse is kind of falling apart in some way, that's an indicator that they weren't really put together in the first place. Like there was something underlying that was being so compensated for that you didn't see it because they were bracing. And when you start to unwind these things, they go lame. And I think that is something that a lot of people don't want to face. And I shouldn't say think, I know, like I know my clients will start to unwind things and slow down with their horses. And then all of a sudden I'm getting messages and they're like, I can't keep my horse sound. And I'm like, well, that's what I was telling you. Like, she wasn't sound in the first place, you know, like you have all these things. And it goes back to that, that um, sentiment of time, like not wanting to take the time to like fully rehab or, and I think it's the time to really educate yourself too, because we only know what we know at this point, because we have been inspired to like research and re, I mean, I feel like you and I are constantly buying books. We're always like texting each other pictures of like new books and like reading articles online. And if that's not something that interests you and you don't put the time into learning, like the more you learn, the more you will want to do better or do differently because you're like, oh my gosh, this is clashing with what I know. But if you're not putting that effort there at the very least, then it makes a lot of sense why things keep happening the way they do. Yeah. And I feel like that piece of that just, it's just an active decision to have empathy for the partner that you've chosen to be with. And I think that for so many people, not all people, but so many people get wrapped up in this like rat race and this like competitiveness around, you know, well, if I have this horse and I'm not doing X, Y, Z with it, what's the point? Or I just have this expensive dog or like you hear people say all kinds of weird stuff. And it's like, can you go back to the beginning of when you actually got into horses and remember why, you know what I mean? Um, but we'll shut down a lot of that just to, I feel like continue to do the things. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. 
there's just really it's just a choice you're making a choice to either ignore it and cover it up and speed past it or to actively go oh hold on is this for my horse's highest and best good and ours and I think the whole thing with Celeste's work is because it's so specific with that development process where when I told you I told Jaylee the other day um, I think when I first met Celeste and we got on our first call, a lot of the stuff I was doing intuitively was very similar to the nerve release stuff. Um, but it was, and I really thought like, oh my gosh, this is like so much what I was doing. I just didn't know what I was doing. And there was a level of it that yes, that was, but the specifics and um, around like the development piece and how slow it is, like what I think people don't understand is you don't have to work on actively getting your horse forward for them to be forward once you get on and ride. Because if you unlock all of that stuff, even with a really slow pillar work, you get on and they don't have all of those holdings and they can just move forward. It's not about, I've cued my horse to go forward. It's about how comfortable do they feel going forward? And I think with me and my horse, does did he go around carrying himself correctly. He could spin, he could stop, he could do all the things. And when I got on a call with Celeste, because I was like, I don't understand fully. I don't think like, I think my horse is <clears throat> doing what I want. And what I realized is how braced he was in the shape that I thought he was supposed to be in, but he was braced in it. So the falling apart of him being sore up front and all these things was because he was so braced and I didn't recognize that. And I think that's why her work is so cool because you're starting from that base level of like understanding and being educated on those specific muscles and how slow and sustainable the development is, but also how it is also shows you <laughs> if they're lame, when you let go of these things where they're lame. And I think people don't necessarily always like that, but uh, that's where you're finding the truth around, like, is my horse actually going around okay? Because it should only last for so long. You can only bypass all of that stuff in for so long until, like, they go so lame that you <laughs> you can't just skip over it and pretend like it's not happening. So. I know, and it's kind of crazy, too, because once they get to that point, like, if you push past all the little lamenesses and all the little tendon things that they get and, like, the tension patterns that you see and the muscle atrophy and all of that stuff then what I find is like their entire like their entire body is sore and it almost always looks like foot sore like it starts manifesting in the feet which is so interesting to me because um like the feet are the foundation of the horse but from an energetic perspective like when you don't feel grounded and supported on your four feet from a horse's perspective. Um, there's emotions around feeling like unsupported or not heard or not able to perform or, or whatever the case may be. And lately I've been kind of like, I've been trying to create like my own little, so like in theta work, there are belief systems, certain core beliefs that that kind of coincide with um like body stuff so like if you have a digestive issue there's beliefs around that if you have so for everything that happens in our body there's a belief around it essentially right am I saying that right mm -hmm. um, and then so for horses 
I'm trying to figure out like where that line is because like they don't hold guilt like we do or they don't have shame like we do. They don't carry those deeper emotions. So I've been very interested in like figuring out what it would be for horses. And so like um, I've been diving into like metabolic horses and horses that carry a lot of extra weight on their body. And I've really found a pattern in scarcity, um, which I don't want to get too off topic, but um, yeah, so there's like patterns in the body. So when you do push past all of those little things, um, it starts manifesting in bigger systemic things in the body, which brings us to the topic that we've been wanting to talk about, which is biting. And I found that horses who bite or horses who are like kind of more orally fixated that is like the beginning indicator of like, Hey, something is like, something is in discord emotionally. And the more like they try to tell you and you shut that out, it starts manifesting as like rigidity in the body. Like when, if you think about it, like from a human perspective, when we start feeling like, um, tightness in our jar, we feel emotions. We like physically start talking to our friends. Like we talk, we open our jaw, we, I, I feel like in humans, and I don't know why I feel this way, but like us talking and saying things is like the equivalent of horses like biting. <laughs> Cause they're like trying to say, they're like trying to talk and be like, well, I'm really nervous right now or whatever. And when it comes to biting and like trying to say like, Hey, I don't like that. Where do I want to go with this? Because I feel like we start with like asking them something, right? So let's say like you put your hand on their side and they kind of like pin their ears a little bit and they don't move. And then you ask them again and they're like, mm, okay, I move over, but it's reluctantly. If you ignore those subtleties of like why, and this t ties into the Celeste stuff too. Like if you're going to move towards your horse with any sort of energy and they immediately brace before you get there, why are you not looking at that first? Why is that not a question first? Because biting is ultimately... Granted, there's many different scenarios that biting can happen, but like, I feel like a lot of the times it happens when you enter that bubble or like their auric field and they put up the shield and you bypass it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot to be said by, well, like you said, there's like a million different versions of why is my horse giving me a hard middle finger in this moment? Um, there's a lot to be said for when you do step into that space, paying attention to the moment they pin their ears and stopping there. Um, because sometimes I feel like they just want to know if you're paying attention or listening. Like, and you can pause there and just take a deep breath, check in with yourself and see is it something that I'm bringing or is it something that, you know, they're worried about or. I find like a lot of times it's what the person's bringing and the horse is like, you can keep that shit over there. <laughs> like nothing, leave that over wherever, whatever you're dealing with. No, thank you. Unless of course the horse has been shut down around actually voicing its opinion, which is most of the time what will start to happen, then it'll manifest in the body. So it's not like you get around it by doing that. Um, but a lot of times I'll have clients where that will happen. And then I just have them pause and I'm like, check in, like what's going on. And then it'll be like, oh, da, 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 you know, and the moment they start saying what the needs to be said or what needs to be looked at or just acknowledging what was going on for them, the horses will soften and then you can continue on. Right. It's that like pull of 
you saying you're fine, but you're not. And the horses pick up on that and they're like, ew, get away from me. And I think because a lot of times when someone enters your space like that and you can feel it more often than not, like their garbage is going to get projected onto you, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it just makes them not safe. And, um, and I still have a little, I, I mean, you should probably talk to Smarty about this. <laughs> I feel like you need to interview Smarty because where, where I get a little, what I'm still kind of even working out a little bit is there's been instances where I've had horses in training that have actively been pushed too far and come I've had probably five that had come to me over the years where it was like they're either going to get put down or they're just dangerous to be around in general and one I was like you need to do something different with this horse like I don't I think there might have been some brain damage type stuff going on because things didn't compute like you could just tell like something was very off but if I think about now what I would do is and what I had done was start on the outside of the fence, you know, and just witness like what was actually going on. But spending so much time with those horses before you're asking them for anything, I think is what is a missing link for people bringing those horses aren't willing to let you have that time, which is why trainers resort to other things because they're felt backed into a corner. I need to make this horse safe or someone's going to get hurt. Here's a fast way to do it. Or, um, or they just go straight to that because they're scared for themselves, which rightfully so, like they can become very dangerous animals. There's like this piece of identifying, like, why is this aggression coming out? If it's aggression or if it's just, I'm nervous, I'm in pain, whatever it is, identifying why the biting is happening. And then you have to deal with it a little bit differently. There are horses that are just so defensive from being ignored or pushed too far that they want everyone to fuck off. And I had one of those where I know that it was that because it all got worked through. Like the vet had looked at it, its teeth had been done, the feet, the body workers, like everybody was like, it feels like there was like an energetic component that was being held. And I was allowed to spend enough time with the horse until that stuff softened. But there was this level of here's my boundary, here's yours. And this is what I was sort of talking about last week, where I think people sometimes take that, you have to listen to your horse say no, there has to be a choice for them. And then they bypass, well, you also get to have boundaries. You know what I mean? Where your horse gets to say no, but you also get to say no. My rules of engagement are everybody says no, um, but not at each other, <laughs> where is where I will draw the line and protect myself. And what it looks like is if I'm in the round pen and I usually if once I get to the point where I kind of understand what's going on, I don't leave them on a lead rope and a halter like there's this level of if I'm going to trust you, you have to trust me. But I think the missing link where I don't want people to get too wrapped up in is like, you have to have done enough work to actually be able to hold a neutral space, like, but actually, and sometimes people will think they are, but they're not. And the horse will let you know where you can walk into the round pen and not be triggered by their ear pins, their kicking, their biting, their like, you know, whatever. And to actually go, I can hold space for you to feel however you want to feel. And I know it has nothing to do with me. 
and then say, you can say no, but here's my personal space. I will also honor your personal space if you give me a no and not move in beyond like that bubble of when they pin their ears. It's like, let me pause here and check in. They also can't come at me with their teeth and with their feet. So that's where like the boundary goes both ways. You can say no over there, but you can't say no at me, but I can say no over here. Here's my space, but I can't just come at you because I'm feeling triggered about what you're doing. And so I think that there's this like fine line of understanding and it's hard to be able to see what that looks like, but where I really found that I found peace and like being able to have that was just watching horses come into training who are super dysregulated these horses and I would put them out with smarty and my herd my herd is very well balanced you know they're very neutral smarty is definitely the one that can walk into the pasture mildly pin his ears people get out he doesn't have to cause a big scene about it but I know he will (laughs) you know what I mean but when he does it it's like he goes in, they don't move. He pushes them out of the way and then goes back to doing life. Like he doesn't think about it. It's like new segment. (laughs) Everyone's eating again next to each other. No one's afraid of each other, but there is this sense of, are you safe? Can you move who it? And so this one mare in particular came, she was super, um, she had stuff going on her body that I know was causing it. And she was just so nervous, so anxious, um, would get attached to any person, any horse, that was that she was next to. So I worked with her for a few days, just creating space and having her regulate herself like six feet, 12 feet away from me, you know, not being there, helping her. Like, I know you can be okay right there. Here's my boundary. Stay there. I'm going to stay with you, but you're all right there. And when I put her out there, she was like, "Ah, horses, horses. And she went all up into the herd, but because she was so dysregulated, I actually have it on video. He continued to push her out. And it was like, He would push her out and eventually her body sort of started to unlock. And every time he would push her out, she would kick and buck more. And it was like she was clearing all of this like stuff. And she hadn't been allowed a lot of movement before. So there wasn't a lot of space, which I feel like is like such a problem with most horses that are just kept in stalls. Like they can't even somatically like support themselves and release because they're in these little boxes. So he would push her out. And then eventually, and it was sort of what I was doing. And I feel like I learned a lot of the stuff that I do from him. He pushed her out and eventually she would kind of come back in and the more regulated her nervous system got, like the closer she could come. And then eventually she was like, I think I'm okay out here. And this was like a process of like 45 minutes that I watched this. And eventually she was like, oh, and the next day she came out, got a little bit like, oh, hi, hi everyone. And he was like, nope. (laughs) And then she took another like 10 minutes. And then after that, like she's eating with everybody, good to go actually. And a lot of her anxiousness stopped so there was something to be said about the way he did things like that and it was like he still created a boundary because she wasn't safe to be in there so basically if you think about it herd mentality it's like a liability to have horses so dysregulated it's you know but I just watched him so that's what started to have me question how do we as humans recreate that experience where you're able to say, nope, not yet, move away from me. And I I think that I I just identified is because they don't have a story about it. Like even you were saying earlier, like they don't hold those same energetic things like 
where it's like, no, I'm just knowing that you're going to be okay, but you got to do it over there. You got to work out your own shit over there. We'll hold space for you all here, but you can't come in here all hot like that. And I feel like that's the same space, whether I'm walking a horse on the lead line or I'm in the round pen with him or whatever. It's like, here's my boundary. Everyone has to be okay on their own. And then we can connect together when it's safe for everyone. Just rambled really long about that. But that's something that's been like brewing for a long time. But it would be interesting for you to talk to Smarty about it and be like, what is that? Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? And is that like accurate? Because I based my entire training program off of him. So (laughs) I think what it comes down to is what the horses have been saying all along with this great awakening is it's entitlement. It's like human entitlement to the free will of their horses. And like, mm-hmm. you are not entitled to their body, their emotional state, their sense of being like your horse should have free will and you are not entitled to that free will. So like being able to, and you, you know, they're not entitled to your body either. So that's where the boundary without a story comes. Like, this is my body. This is my space. And, um, that's your body. That's your space. Where can we find, I think of like the Venn diagram with like the circles, you know, in the middle where it's like, where can we like meet up together where I'm not attached to the outcome. I'm not feeling entitled to, to you or your body or your emotional state. You're free to go. And I'm free to go too. And I think too, there's like a there's such a misconception around biting because there's such a different energy when they're biting to engage in play and like when they're biting to like disassociate and so many people will come to me and they're like, he's just biting because like that's who he is and he's so playful and he's X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, "Mm, he's actually changing the subject because he's trying to tell you that he's uncomfortable and he's saying, well, what if I offer you this? What if I redirect your energy here? It gets me out of what we're doing. And I think people are so quick to be like, I said no, or like, get out of my, you know, whatever. That is not what we're doing right now. And then they go back to what they were doing that that created the biting in the first place. And it's that lack of awareness. And I think whenever, and Biggie is teaching me, it's funny that you and I both have like these horses that are just like laying out the lessons in front of us all the time. But like, Biggie is, um, teaching me like you are not entitled to my state of being when I offer it like I need you to stay neutral about it and another thing that he's kind of teaching me too as we are coexisting in each other's space and I'm learning how to help him regulate his nervous system is when he does allow me oh my gosh I have so much to say about this so when he does allow me into his space thanking him, interacting with him, and then not just like ripping my energy away again. Cause like, if you're saying like, okay, like I'm allowing you into my space. Like when, let's say like your horse, you're allowing your horse into your space and you want to like give them a cuddle and stuff. And then all of a sudden they just like shove you forward with their nose and like walk off. Like you're like offended by that. You're like, Oh, here I was cuddling you being all soft and like loving your energy. And then all of a sudden you just like rip it away. How many times do we do that with our horses where we're like, you know, we invite them in and then we like flail our arm at them to like get them to go away or like whatever. So being mindful of that, not ripping your energy away when they do decide to be vulnerable, that's a big thing. And then also, I think that there's a lot of blurred lines around around the human boundaries because human 
women, <laughs> I say women because women are like predominantly my clients and they want to like kiss and smooch and like hug their horse's heads. And a lot of times the horses will say no and they'll grab their halters anyway and kiss them. And I'm like, how do you not see that that is exactly what they're doing to you when they bite the sleeve of your shirt? Like you're saying no. And they're like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. It's like this forced affection. And I used to laugh about it. And now I'm like, this is a fucking problem, people. This is everywhere in almost every relationship, <laughs> including my own sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you know what it's like when someone wants to like touch you and hug you and you don't want it like that feels mm -hmm. horrific. And then when you say no, thank you. And that pressure is still there. It like literally sends your entire body into like, it feels like electricity. Like I just want to be able to like electrocute someone off of me, but people do it to their horses all the time, all the time. So it's, I think it just comes down to like in any single scenario. People got, yeah. And people <laughs> you have to understand like how you feel about your own boundaries makes a whole lot of difference when you ask your horse to like move out of your space because if you're mad about it or you're feeling like the horse isn't or the person or the people or whatever isn't going to respect this boundary anyways if you have beliefs around boundaries energetically when you ask for that or that request it's not going to be met with the same as my expectation is that this isn't safe for me human or horses and I'm saying, and you know what? Boundaries are not about you have to do something. Boundaries are about like, if this happens, it doesn't make me feel safe. I will do this. It's not about you forcing someone else to comply with what you want. It's you stating what you will do in this situation to keep yourself safe. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that part. So when they're walking with a horse and the horse is being pushy, or whatever it's like well you've crossed my boundary and it scares you and triggers you to feel unsafe and instead you're you know ah instead of just creating more space so here's the difference walking and I'll walk with like a dressage whip or something and I'll walk with the horse and I want the horse to give me space because a lot of horses that I work with will come in with like the really close like they're right on top of the person sometimes and it usually will come from the person needing that and bringing the horse close to them all the time. And then the horse starts to gain their self sense of like safety being nearby, but also because, you know, if they can be right there, the likelihood of other things happening <laughs> is much less. Mm -hmm. So I'll take it. And I don't, I create the space around my body with the whip. The whip isn't for me to turn around and beat the horse off of me. The whip is like, here's my space. I'm making my energy, my bubble bigger. And the horse moves off of it versus I'm going to turn around and whap, whap, whap. Have, you can, if you're coming from a place of expectation, this is the intention behind the choice that I'm making to create the space around my body. If you do it in intentionally from the right place in your body, the horses will move off. But what happens is people don't believe that and they're all constricted and they do it and the horse keeps coming and then they're like, ah, and they start to hit the horse with the whip and the horse still comes because their energy is all like, you know, so they have to hit harder and sometimes that doesn't work. And the simple shift of you got to do belief work around your boundaries and why you're crazy. And if you even want your horse 
some people will say they want that, but there's something internally that they they want to have everyone close to them. There's like a codependency thing that happens. So energetically, they're pulling their horse close to them. And I'm saying, create space. You're going to die. That's why you're here. And they're like, oh, but I don't want them to think I don't love them. I don't want them to. And I'm like, well, then let your horse run over the top of you. Like, bro, I don't know what to tell you. It always comes back to the person working out their shit first. Like, and I think that's why half the books we exchange back and forth have nothing to do with horses because when it comes down to it, and that's the stuff people want to avoid, you know, they'll work with me for a good amount of time. And some people will go all the way and they get to the other side and they're like, oh, I get it now. And some people are like, oh, this is getting really uncomfortable. I'm going to go work with a different trainer that's going <laughs> to let me just get on and fucking stab my horse and go on the trail. So it's uncomfortable, but like a lot of that energetically comes from what are your beliefs around boundaries and why you're creating them changes the result you get when you ask your horse, you know, and because then if you're honoring your own boundaries, you're more likely to be empathetic and honor theirs. So it changes the entire dynamic of your experience with your horse. They don't teach you that in horse land. <laughs> yep. It's everything I've been learning over this last year is identifying what my boundaries even are. And like, not, I didn't realize that. I was allowing so many others to be entitled to my time and energy. And so I expected that from them in return. And now that I don't have that and I am like, you know what? My energy is valuable. My time is valuable. That doesn't mean that yours is not. And that was my belief system around it was if I am protecting my energy and I'm like, my time is valuable people will think, well, I'm this like high and mighty person that has valuable energy and what they need from me is not important. And I had to like work through that and be like, that's not true at all. Me taking what I need doesn't take away from other people or from my horses or whatever. So what a hot potato of an episode. I feel like there can be so much more that we could say. Maybe there, there's going to be a part two of this episode. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I And I feel like too, like like smarties one that likes to like put his little like mouth you know and i know that i i don't feel the need to create space with him like sometimes when he stands for a long time and his like energy builds and he gets anxious he'll start to like on my arm like and i know i look at him and i go get away from me no i'm like oh he's telling me that he's got all this like going on and he needs to move or you know, he needs something different. He needs some stimulus, like go for a walk or, you know, come back because he'll stand for a long time sometimes when I take him to clinics. And, um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that every time your horse is close to you, you have to push him. Like there, there comes a time where those boundaries have been established and there's this level of trust and understanding where my horses will stand like right over the top of me sometimes, you know, and I can sit under like underneath their little legs or sit on the ground. We do mirror sessions where, I know that they're aware of where I am and there's like this reciprocity that will start to happen. So it's not like, I just don't want people to think like, well, you have to walk with your horse like 10 feet away from you for them to be a balanced individual. You know what I mean? It's like, there's like a circle that happens when you start from like the very base and you build up that trust that both of you get to have that no one is going to like blow past each other's stuff. Like you get to have that closeness if they want it. And if you want it, like it, it you do get to have that relationship, but it becomes healthy not 
I need this. It's different. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I got a little download from him as you were talking. Sorry. And cause well, huh? Almost Marty. <laughs> yeah. From Smarty. Yeah. From Smarty. Because of course, as you're talking about what he's doing with the mare, I picture him. And then when I start picturing a horse in my head, they just come into my head and they start saying things. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So like this whole time, we get flirt does that too. Where like, we'll be talking about his eye. We'll be talking about something for a while. And if we talk about it for more than a few seconds, it brings my consciousness like in alignment <laughs> with theirs. And so I was, so then he was just like, well, the difference is easy. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it? And he said, I'm deserving of my space, but not entitled to yours. And it's as simple as that. Like, I'm not, cause I just asked him, I was like, well, why do you feel entitled to this hay pile? Like if you're eating this hay pile, who's to say that that is yours and you deserve that. And he's like, well, if I'm here, I deserve what's in my space. I feel worthy of where I stand and what's in my space. And I'm, I feel deserving to like protect that, but I don't feel that I'm entitled to the space that you're in. But then I'm kind of like, okay, well, but if you want that hay pile that the other person, like, you know, that's in, then you feel deserving of that too. So we do need to have a conversation with him because now I want to ask him, well, what makes you think that you deserve that hay pile and that hay pile and you can just push everybody around. And then that just sparked like whole wars are started over this, the deserving of the land that you're on and believing that I deserve the land that you're on too. Like that's why wars start. That's why the wars are going on around us right now. So we should talk to Smarty about this to be continued people. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, what's interesting is that with him it's like the horses aren't afraid I mean they're not afraid of him like they all stand together they groom each other they all nap together in a little pile you know what I mean it's just like if he's walking to the water trough they get out of his way you know what I mean it's not like I don't know it's fascinating so yeah I would I would love because I watch him all the time and I'm like like what is it like what what's going on and he's just so solid in in that space within her no matter who's in there so yeah it'd be fun to have a little a little conversation with him because I feel like he's the epitome of like what we're talking about. But when he goes into the other pasture, there was one larger horse who doesn't necessarily hold that same energy. Who's just bigger. And and he's like, "Eh." sometimes he's like, sometimes he's willing to like put in the effort to like, Nope, this is where I'm standing. And sometimes he's like, Oh God, you're huge. I'm out of here. (laughs) So it's like his energy doesn't change, but the dynamic changes when he goes out there. So it's kind of fascinating. I don't know. My horse is little teachers. Okay. Well, well, that was a lot longer than we expected. <laughs> that was uh, lots of lots of stuff in this one. <laughs> lots of juicy stuff. So, if you're feeling away about anything we said, <laughs> go ahead and drop it in the comments. Um, and if you're feeling like this episode had some insights that might some people might need to hear or might not like hearing, but I don't know, might plant a seed, go ahead and share it. And um, we will see and share time and ears with you next week.